Y'all ready? We've got a lot to talk about. <clears throat> As I said, we, we talk about the resurrection every Sunday, so this is just another Sunday for me. But I feel a little bit of an obligation to let any, especially any visitors that may just be coming here to, to hang out for a little bit, to know kind of a little bit of what we're about. Um, one of the, the things that our three pillars, and we, uh, Brian spoke to Lynn Hiles about this, who's coming to our Grace Conference, and, and he said, you know, the kind of the pillars of our church are grace, sonship, and kingdom. And Lynn said, that's amazing. He said, I, I travel around and go to a lot of churches, and not many have even two of those that really understand them clearly. And he said, it's amazing you guys have all three, and you, and you really get it. And so it's really cool that, that we really understand kingdom, we understand grace, and we understand sonship because of the identity and who we are. I can't, there's no way that I can go through all those today, but I'm going to focus really mainly on kingdom today just because I think it's so important, especially with the resurrection of what actually happened there. Um, and, and I know everybody kind of, <laughs> amongst the leadership anyway, they kind of pick on me about being very anti-traditional and, and, uh, and, and not wanting to, to, to kind of go with the, the way everyone else goes and kind of go with the streams and stuff. And I swear I don't try to do that. This is not my intent to, to kind of go against the grain. It's just who I am. So sorry, not sorry. It's, it's just it is what it is. But it's still, I really do feel like this is still very important as, as far as resurrection and remembering who Christ was and who Christ is still today. So we're going to start in Isaiah, and there's a story in Isaiah, and I'm going to talk fast, so I hope y'all listen fast today, because I really want to get y'all to get in Easter eggs and get into your families, but I, I have a lot to say. So there's a story in the book of Isaiah, um, and it talks about the city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed by Babylon, and it's the great kingdom in the north. Uh, Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would, would reign and bring peace and blessings to everyone. So many Jews uh, were sent into exile, but there were a few that remained in the city, and they were a little bit stressed and wondering what had happened, and basically wondering if their God had abandoned them. Has God abandoned us? And in the story, there's a watchman on the city walls, um, and he sees a messenger from far off running towards the city, uh, shouting about some good news. And it goes on to talk about how beautiful the feet are of this messenger that brings the good news. And I thought it was interesting that it mentioned feet. Um, why are feet so important? But it's the feet of the messenger that brings the good news. Um, and so the first thing we need to establish is what is good news? Good news uh, is euangelion, uh, is the, the, what we call the gospel. It is the good news of Jesus, basically, of, of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and the new life that we find in him. So when we talk about good news, that's what we're talking about in here. It's not just a good news, it's the good news. It's the best news you've ever heard. <laughs> I mean, hands down, best news you've ever heard. So when, when, you're, when we and where we are today in Western Christianity understand the best news we've ever heard is that Christ is still alive, that heaven is real, and it's not just somewhere you go when you die, but it's something that's been deposited in our hearts currently now. Yes. This, this is uh, an amazing truth that we have to get through to get to the good news, because if, it, if our purpose is just to die and go somewhere to heaven, then we could hold each other a little longer in baptism and just go on our way. But that's not the good news. The good news is that Christ came and Christ, Christ came and thank God, I know, Christ came. We would be not a very good, not a very well-known church for the right reasons anyway. But Christ came and he brought his kingdom with him. He didn't come alone. Amen. So in this story, let's, I'm getting ahead of myself. Isaiah talks about a messenger running towards the destroyed city, um, proclaiming the good news that God is still king and that God himself would one day return to the city and set up his kingdom and bring peace to the land. Okay, so the good news is that God's going to make things right. In the, in the midst of where they are, it's not good. The, the, everything's been destroyed. The, the, this whole story talks about how desperate they are, and they think all hope is lost, and this messenger comes to give them hope. And I'll read just a little bit of it just so we can gain some context. Isaiah 52.6. If you want to turn there, you can. I'm just going to go through just a few scriptures here. 
Isaiah 52, 6. It says, Therefore, my people will know my name. Therefore, in that day they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaim peace, bring good tidings, and proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, and Zion's another key here, remember that, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices Together they shout for joy when the Lord returns to Zion. There it is again, to Zion. They will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. And he goes on in verse 10. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. So he says, it kind of looks like Romans, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. So saying, look, I'm coming back to Jerusalem. Don't fret. Don't stress out. I'm going to come back and I'm going to make things right. I'm going to set up my rule and reign and my kingdom will come. But it won't just be for you. It'll be for all the nations. It'll be to the ends of the earth. <clears throat> so we, I told you I'm going to go fast. So that's, we gained that copy. You got that? He's talking about Zion. He's talking about how beautiful the feet of the messenger that's saying that, listen, don't, don't be stressed out about what you see, the destruction of what's going on and, and the things that are in this physical realm that you think are hopeless. Don't. Don't get caught too much up in those because I'm coming back and I'm going to set up my kingdom and things are going to be okay. And it's going to be, it's going to be on Zion when this happens. Okay. New Testament speaks of this good news. Same good news. It says, <coughs> and this good news is, is most commonly used as an announcement of the reign of a new king. So when we talk about euangelion uh, or the, the gospel, that term, especially back then, would be used in, in, the, in the precedings of a new, a new king coming in to... to basically take out whoever is in charge and then make themselves the new ruler and new king there. So the, the, the term euangelion was the, to usher in this kingdom. So Jesus walked around and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom everywhere he went. Jesus had one message. Do you know what that message was? Most of us in here know what that message was. Kingdom of heaven is here. Kingdom of God. All Jesus talked about was this kingdom. Now, did he do a lot of stuff? He did a lot of stuff to demonstrate it. But when he spoke, he spoke of this kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. This kingdom, all he talked about was the kingdom. This was his primary and really only message. So the kingdom of God is at hand. It's in your midst. It's within you. So he walked around proclaiming the good news of the kingdom everywhere he went. But the way he, the way he described the kingdom was not the way anyone expected. Has anyone else seen that? It was not the way that, that anyone thought that it should be proclaimed. He was describing basically an upside-down kingdom. And an invisible kingdom. Imagine that. Imagine someone coming in, claiming, and, and especially to the Jews that have been waiting for the Savior, and he comes in talking about this kingdom, and they're, they're wanting to be the geopolitical leader again and to, to take out Rome, and they want this new kingdom to come in with this king on a white horse with a sword to, to take, take rule and reign in this situation in a visible way that they can actually see. So he's describing this kingdom... But his kingdom is different. It's upside down. It's the kingdom of love and forgiveness and serving one another. And that flew right up in the face of the way kingdoms operated then. So who would receive this good news of the kingdom? If you'll turn to Luke uh, 7, 6, and I'm going to read from the message here. I just, I just really like the way Eugene Peterson words this. He's a very colorful writer, and it's easy for me to read because it's in a terminology that I understand a little bit better. But if you're not familiar, uh, it's not just a paraphrase. Eugene Peterson actually went back to the Greek and Hebrew and studied and tried to draw out some of the language that's 
very difficult for us to translate into English because the words were so much better <laughs> in the Greek and Hebrew than ours, and so it's kind of watered down actually just to get it into English. Um, so anyway, Luke, uh, Luke 7, 6 says, Jesus went to them uh, when he was still quite far from the house. Uh, the captain sent friends to tell him. This is the story of the, the, uh, the captain that came and wanted uh, his servant healed. Master, you don't have to go to all this trouble. I'm not a good person. You, you know, I'd, <clears throat> I'd be embarrassed for you to come to my house, even embarrassed for you to come in person. Just give the order. My servant will be well. I'm a man under orders. I also give orders. I tell one soldier, go, and he goes. Another, come, and he comes. Do this, and he does it. Taken back, Jesus addressed the accompanying crowd. I've yet to come across this kind of simple trust anywhere in Israel. Listen to, to what he's talking about. I've yet to come across anyone that has this kind of simple trust anywhere in Israel. The very people who are supposed to know about God and how he works. When the messengers got back home, they found the servant up and well. Now we're going to skip down to 18. Now we're, all of this, there's going to be tell several stories, but this is all about the kingdom. This, sir, this guy, this captain recognized the kingdom. This is why it's so important. Skip down to verse 18. Verse 18 says, John's disciples reported back to him that the news of all these events taking place, he sent two of them to the master to ask the question, are you the one we've been expecting or are we still waiting? Basically, are you the guy or is there somebody else coming after you? Are you the, are you the Christ? Are you the messenger? Are you the one that's going to usher in this kingdom? Or should we continue waiting? Verse 20, the men showed up before Jesus and said, John the baptizer sent us to ask you, are you the one we've been expecting or are we still waiting? And I love this. In the next two or three hours, Jesus healed many. Like he didn't even answer the question. He took two or three hours to heal people from diseases, distress, and evil spirits. To many of the blind, he gave the gift of sight. Then he gave the answer. I love this. Go back and tell John what you, what you, ju- what you have just seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the wretched of the earth have God's salvation hospitality extended to them. Is this what you were expecting? Then count yourselves fortunate. Listen what's happening here. They're saying, are you the king that's bringing this kingdom? And he says, hang on a second. (laughs) And he starts demonstrating the kingdom, his kingdom, his invisible kingdom and what it looks like. And then he turns to them and says, if this, in, in essence, he's saying, if this is what you're expecting your, this kingdom to look like, then yes. But if, if it's not, then it's not, it's not what you're expecting, then it's not the kingdom you're looking for. Is this what you're expecting? Then count yourselves fortunate. Verse 24, after John's messengers left him to make their report, Jesus said more about John and to the, and to the crowd of people. What did you expect when you, went, <clears throat> when you went out to see him in the wild? A weekend camper? Hardly. What then? A chic in silk pajamas? Not in the wilderness, not by a long shot. What then? A messenger, from, a messenger from good? That's right, a messenger. Probably the greatest messenger you'll ever hear. He is the messenger Malachi announced when he wrote, I'm sending my messenger on ahead to make the road smooth for you. Verse 28. Let me lay it out for you as plainly as I can. No one in history surpasses John the baptizer, but in the kingdom, in his kingdom, he prepared for you. The lowliest person is ahead of him. The ordinary and disreputable people who heard John by being baptized by him and into this kingdom are the clearest evidence the Pharisees and religious officials would have nothing to do with such a baptism, wouldn't think of giving up their place in line to their inferiors. How can I account for the people of this generation? They're like spoiled children complaining to their parents. We want to skip rope and you're always too tired. We want to 
talk, but you're always busy. John the baptizer came fasting and you called him lazy. The son of man came feasting and you call him a lush. Opinion polls don't count for much, do they? The proof, is, <laughs> the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Basically, look at what I'm doing and look at who I am. Now we're going to go on. This is right after this. Verse 36, it says, One of the Pharisees asked him over for a meal. He went to the Pharisee's house and sat down at the dinner table. Just then a woman of the village, the town harlot, having heard that Jesus was a guest in the home of the Pharisee, came with a bottle of very expensive perfume and stood at his feet. There's feet again. Weeping, raining tears on his feet. Letting down her hair, she dried his feet, kissed them, and anointed them with perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man was the prophet I thought he was. This is key. You know, Jesus wasn't just a prophet, right? If this man was the prophet, uh, I lost my place, digital Bible. Where are you? There we go, 39. Uh, if this man was a prophet I thought he was, he would, he would have known what kind of woman this is who's falling all over him. Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Oh, tell me. Two men were in debt to a banker. One found 500 silver pieces, the other 50. Neither of them could pay up. Remember that. Neither of them could pay up. And so the banker canceled both debts. Which of these two would be more grateful? Simon answered, I suppose the one who was forgiven most. That's right, said Jesus. Then turning to the woman, but speaking to Simon, he said, Do you see this woman? I came to your home. You provided no water for my feet. But she rained tears on my feet and dried them with her hair. You gave me no greeting, but from the time I arrived, she hasn't quit kissing my feet. You provided nothing for freshening up, but she has soothed my feet with perfume. Impressive, isn't it? She was forgiven many, many sins, and so she is very, very grateful. If the forgiveness is minimal, the gratitude is minimal. Then he spoke to her, I forgive your sins. That set the dinner guest talking behind his back. Who does he think he is forgiving sins? He ignored them and said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Not only did Jesus come proclaiming the kingdom unlike anyone or anyone had ever heard or the Jews even knew of, he also came proclaiming himself as the king. He went around saying, not only did he demonstrate by healing people and, and shifting everybody's paradigm of what a kingdom looks like, he also claimed that he was the king of this kingdom. And the Jews were not crazy about this. <laughs> and the Jewish leaders at that time were not. <clears throat> not only that, he had 12 disciples basically establishing that he was king like the 12 tribes of Israel. So he was establishing his kingdom, but his kingdom didn't look the same as what they expected. So that threatened Israel's leaders, so they plotted to kill him, and then Jesus let him. <laughs> what kind of king is this that lets people kill him? Let that sink in a minute. We've got all, the, all this leading up to this. I know there's a lot of information. I'm going to try to wrap this up without getting too far, but we've got, we've got all this time of, of, of people steeped in a system from birth that all they know is a sacrificial system. All they know is... is um, Killing, killing animals and this, this whole old covenant. That's all they know. And then Jesus comes on the scene and says, you have to give all that up. All of that's about to pass away. The kingdom that you understand and that you see physically is not going to exist anymore. And that's a hard pill to swallow. Listen, trans, transfer that to today in a lot of the religious uh, environments that we find ourselves in and we get caught up in. If you, if you take away the supernatural side of Jesus being the Son of, being the son of God and, and everything that goes along with that, him ushering his kingdom and him claiming that he is the king, if you take that away, then Jesus is just an insane person, like C.S. Lewis says, equal of a person who says he's a poached egg. 
Jesus was not just a prophet. He was not just a teacher. He wasn't a good moral teacher, especially if he's blatantly lying about being the Son of God and the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's not a good prophet. That's not a good teacher. Jesus was who he said he was, and he is who he says he is. Amen. So he let them kill him. It's the only way they could do it. So how is God going to establish his rule and reign as king and bring his kingdom to earth if he's dead? <laughs> Big question, right? We know the answer. They didn't really know then. They were probably pretty stressed out. Um, <laughs> this, isn't what we, this is not what we expected, Jesus. But here's the interesting, interesting thing. Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as king of the Jews. Jesus does receive a crown and a robe. It's not the way that they expected to see it. It was a crown of thorns. People mocked him and called him king, and little did they know they were actually telling the truth. They had no idea. He's exalted up, not on a physical throne that we can see, but on a cross. Although there was an invisible throne he was being exalted up on. Let's go back to Isaiah. Isaiah says, How beautiful are the feet of the, the messenger that brings the good news. How beautiful are those feet? Listen, there, there are lots of instances where, where Jesus uh, you know, walked on water, where we just saw where the, the town harlot cried at his feet. All these different instances where, where Jesus is exalted even before he had come to his death, burial, and resurrection that we see throughout Scripture that changes our whole perspective on what this kingdom looks like. Let that sink in a little bit. Isaiah was speaking of, of this new messenger that was going to come, and he was going to reestablish his rule and reign, and how beautiful the feet of that man that came. The good news is that Jesus has defeated death and took away our sin, which separated us from God. In doing so, he ushered in the kingdom of heaven to earth and established a new covenant. He is the king, and you and I are now heirs and co-heirs. This kingdom that has been established will never be destroyed. And I'm going to tell you why. Last verse, Hebrews 12, 18. Unlike your ancestors, you didn't come to Mount Sinai. You remember what happened on Mount Sinai? It's when the law was given through Moses. Unlike your ancestors, you didn't come to Mount Sinai, all that volcanic blaze and earth-shaking rumble to hear God speak. The ear-splitting words and soul-shaking message terrified them, and they begged him to stop. When they heard the words, if an animal touches the mountain, it's as good as dead, they were afraid to move. Even Moses was terrified. No, that, that's not your experience at all. You've come to Mount Zion, the city where the living God resides. The invisible Jerusalem is populated by throngs of festive angels and Christian citizens. It is, this, it is the city where God is judged with judgments that make us just. You've come to Jesus who presents us with a new covenant, a fresh charter from God. He is the mediator of this covenant. The murder of Jesus, unlike Abel's, a homicide that cried out for revenge, became a proclamation of grace. So don't turn a deaf ear to these gracious words. If those who ignored earthly warnings didn't get away with it, what will happen to, you, to us if we turn our backs on heavenly warnings? His voice that time shook the earth to its foundations. This time he's told us quite plainly he'll also rock the heavens. One, whew, whew. 
One last shaking from top to bottom, stem to stern, the phrase. One last shaking means a thorough house cleaning, getting rid of all the historical and religious junk so the unshakable essentials stand clear and uncluttered. Do you see what we've got? An unshakable kingdom. Listen, we talked a few weeks ago about um, about many of us when we came to know the Lord. He was so gracious in, in uh, meeting us where we were, and then we entered into a, a church system that we essentially traded one drug for another. We thought we were trying to find pleasure and joy in the world, and then we stepped into church and found a new way to, to try to gain acceptance and merit and finding a new some kind of new anointing or some gifting or or try to earn something that we could do and we come and we rededicate our lives over and over and over again and we get saved 12 times and we get on the same system that Jesus constantly tells us not to get on. He's saying, look, I'm going to shake all that garbage away. All you need is me. You're going to have to give up all that stuff. The key phrase when Jesus was talking about the parable of the, uh, the two people that owed money we want to talk about, well, one was forgiven much, and they, so they appreciate much, and that's a good thing. But the most important thing is neither of them could pay the debt. Jews or Gentiles, whether, you've, whether you're super good or super bad, none of us could pay back the debt. The reality that we find ourselves in is an absolute desperation, lost, searching for a king. Whether... As we talked about a couple weeks ago, too, whether it's Solomon or it's Paul, we realize everything is pointless without Christ. Everything. The, the, the pressure for me, especially as a pastor on, on Easter Sunday, I always think about, well, if there's visitors, there's people that haven't heard the gospel, how can I, how can I, how can I tell them about this Jesus that's going to make a difference in their life and they're going to see him for who, how I see him? And I don't have the answer to that, unfortunately. I, I, I can't convince you of that in any persuasion that I have of myself. All I can tell you is what he's done for me. (laughs) And the father that I have when I didn't have a father. My, My decisions now in my life are based solely on what Christ has done. Now, I'm not perfect and I make mistakes just like everybody else. But this kingdom that Jesus brought with him is real. You don't have to wait till you die to see it. Now, you'll see it in its fullness when you die, and that's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. But he's placed heaven in your heart. He brought his kingdom. When, when Jesus came and he died, he was buried and he resurrected. He brought new life now. He sent his Holy Spirit to be with you now. He sent a father to the fatherless right now. So no matter what you believe in your eschatology or, or, or anything, end times theology or anything, the greatest thing to ever happen has already happened. The greatest thing in the history of this planet has already happened, and it is found in Christ. And I, I, I got nothing else. <laughs> I mean, that's all I got. And, and as we talked about um, this morning, it's Easter every Sunday. Every Sunday we talk about the resurrected Christ. Every Sunday we talk about this Holy Spirit that moves in and through us and helps us as he is a helper and comforts us and leads us into making the decisions that we need to make. Does uh, what? Yeah, amen. So does God does is God concerned with with how we behave? Yeah, he is. 
but he's more concerned with you knowing him and, and you knowing his heart so that you live out his, his heart because he knows what's best for you. What do we got? Nice. How beautiful are the feet? Listen, if we don't, if we don't, you don't have to fully understand this. This is, this is one of those, you know, we have different times and, and, and different Sundays and everything looks a little bit different, but um, I think this is a good opportunity to, uh, to ask anyone if you've not received Christ, if you've not traded up, um, now's a good time, and it's essentially uh, saying yes. Listen, there's no, there's no card you have to sign. There's no aisle you have to walk. It's just receiving the Holy Spirit. Listen, I walked an aisle and signed something, but I don't remember any of it. All I remember is there was a transaction that happened. I gave up my old dead life. I identified with Christ's death, and he gave me his life, which is much better than the one that I had. And I don't care if you owe a little bit or you owe a lot. His life is much better than yours, I promise you. And I feel like I owe it a lot. (laughs) So I'm very appreciative of it. Um, So if you will, stand up with me. If If you feel it necessary to come up front, you can. You don't have to. You can receive it right where you are. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to bow your head. It's pretty traditional for everybody to do that. Listen, this happens on the inside, and transformation happens from the inside out. So I just want to pray for you. Father, I just just pray for anyone in here that has any doubt of of who you are, Lord, that that you you would reveal yourself to them in a way that only you can. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit draws them to you. Lord, just like uh, the, the hole that I tried to fill up for years that that I thought that I could do on my own, you filled in, in an instant. Lord, that, that God-shaped hole in my heart, Lord, you, I take that back. It was just a bad heart altogether. It wasn't even just a hole. It was, it was a bad heart. You took it out and you gave me yours. And you wrote your laws on it. And so now when I question any behavior that I have, Lord, I go to you and, and you tell me so clearly, yes or no, <laughs> you tell me so clearly, I want for you real joy, not temporary joy. So I pray that you would just uh, speak to anyone in this place, Lord, that, that, uh, that is searching for that and has been looking for that and, um, and is in just desperation for you. Lord, meet them right where they are. Lord, I thank you for anyone that, is, that has uh, received you. Lord, I pray that they would understand that it's, it's not a, as much a commitment on their part as it is receiving what you've done for them already. And it's living out the life that you've purchased for them. Lord, I thank you that as, as you've committed your life to us, Lord, we receive it. And you've given us a gift of eternal life. And you've turned... <laughs> You've turned an ugly cross, a cross that represented death. And just like we flowered here this morning, Lord, you've turned it into something now that is life. You took death and you killed it. And you came in, you, you ushered in your kingdom, not uh, with a sword and, and <laughs> in a way that we could see it physically, but you ushered in the new Jerusalem and you ushered in the new kingdom, the invisible kingdom that is unshakable and that will never crumble again. And Lord, I thank you that you've placed that in our hearts like a deposit. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, Trace, will you run and let, uh, before we dismiss, let Dawn know we're about to dismiss and everyone can, can 
watch their kids out front run down some Easter eggs. And while she's doing that, we'll give a few minutes. Uh, you guys have anything to add or any questions we got? We're, we're early, which I don't know how I did it, but I did it. I talked real fast. So we're early. Good job, guys. Y'all listened real fast. <laughs> yeah, clap for yourself. Because I didn't think I was going to get through that. Y'all have any questions or anything to add? Well, we, we got about three minutes or four minutes for the kids to get out there. They're pretty fast. Anything? Y'all can sit down if you want to. Just, just for a moment. Bill's going to get his camera out and take pictures of you asking questions. <laughs> no. Pertaining to what we talked about. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I... Oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Probably quite a few. Enough to not be able to get back to the boat. Yeah. So. Before he forgot to be amazed and started looking at what was really going on. Right. That does go along with what we're talking about. Well, it's the 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 focus that we have, and just like. In Hebrews here, it talks about, listen, God's shaking all that junk off of us. All Religion tries to prop up a dead Jesus and mimic him, or, or a historical Jesus and mimic him. But the, tr- the truth, the good news says that he's still alive and he lives in and through us. There's, there's a relational Jesus that we have to understand that is still operating and moving today. And we need to be focused on that, not on all the other stuff. The, all the stuff that's shaken when it talks about he's shaking this one last time when he, when he brings us in this new covenant... He puts off the old covenant completely. He shakes all, any kind of religious duty that you had before that would, uh, that would gain you any merit is gone. Once that's gone, you can see Jesus for who he really is and who you really need. I mean, that's, that's the amazing thing. And even, we, uh, even Paul talked about it. It says, somehow I'm included in his resurrection. Paul didn't even understand it. And Paul understands a lot of things that I don't understand. Paul said, somehow you've made it to where I can be a part of this resurrected life. I don't know how you did it, but I'll take it. I count everything else as lost, completely pointless and worthless, which was huge. Same thing with, with Peter walking on water. Look around. Look around at what's going on. Are we focused on everything else that's, else that's going on, or are we focused on the Christ that's right in front of us? What? <laughs> Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Y'all hungry? They're like, Stop talking, Carol. All right, we're early. we're still way early. I'm awesome. <laughs> so proud of myself. I really thought I was gonna go long. The Birches said you have five hours. We've got like a roast in the oven. So you, <laughs> I said I don't think I'm gonna go that far. Yeah. <laughs> There's a song that is you connected so well for me this morning. It's um, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of them who bring good news. Yeah. That's the first part of it. And then we segue into Our God Reigns. And uh, yes, in, in the song. And it, it yeah. anyway. Uh, and it's just, it's just, it, it really is. It just completely explodes your imagination to think of this, this man whose feet were washed in preparation for his death yeah. by this woman who was the lowest of the low yeah. and how he was 
he became king by hanging on a cross. Well, and it, he has included us in all of that. Somehow. Just somehow, while, while we were still sinners, yes. he died for us. And that's, the, that's the, the whole idea of an upside-down kingdom. And I love Mark's book that he's got uh, an upside-down umbrella on it. It's, it's, it's the idea that this, this kingdom is we serve one another. So even in our church, we always do the upside-down pyramid where the leaders serve the other leaders and we serve. So it goes, it goes in a way that we, we try to support and build up one another. We're not trying to reign over people in a way that it is submissive the same way Christ reigned in a completely opposite way. He washed, he washed his disciples' feet, and there's a lot of feet here. Oh, I got taco, I got taco socks. Check out my taco socks. Look how beautiful my feet are. I got a, where's Robert? Is Robert here? Robert's not here? I bought Robert Perez some. He gets tacos with me all the time. So I bought Robert Perez some taco socks, and I got taco socks. I'm mad he's not here. I want to see him wear his taco socks. Anyway, how beautiful are the feet? All right. Y'all, y'all, we should be good. We got all the kids out there? I think so. Sounds like they're screaming. All right. Is Bill? Where's Bill? You ready for pictures? Let Bill go first because you'll probably. No? Hold on. Y'all go? Okay. Okay. Hey, you do you. I was just trying to give you a head start. All right. Y'all, can, y'all, y'all are dismissed. Y'all can go. Y'all, y'all may leave. Y'all may go. Thank you. <laughs> Bill's going to get a picture, and he'll probably get some more pictures outside of your children's.